Welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. To clip or not to clip? Kent Solberg and Doug Voss give some clarity around this question today. Pasture clipping can be a wonderful management tool, as long as it's in the right context. Kent and Doug work together as staff on our SFA soil health team and our farmers themselves with decades of experience in livestock management and grazing. I'm Katie Federal, your host, and let's get right to it. Hey, Kent and Doug, good to talk to you. Hi, Katie. Hello, Katie. So I've heard a bit about clipping now, and Kent has raised the question of to clip or not to clip. So when, when should you do that in the pastures and why? So let's let's uh, clarify that we're not talking about haircut clipping. I know a lot of people are struggling with getting haircuts with the COVID restrictions. This is about clipping pastures. Um, this is a, a technique. It's a tool, uh, another management tool in the toolbox. And you know, we could get five different grazers on the line right now, Katie, and you'd probably get five different answers, but. Um, let, let's break this down a little bit because so many times it's not the what, it's the how that we're doing. And uh, I think asking how did we get to the point where we do want to clip? What, what brought us to this point? And there could be a number of reasons a producer may want to think about clipping. Um, if one is grazing at too low of a stock density and you've got uh, some of your forage plants going to seed, uh, the temptation's there to clip. Um, if you've got uh, uh, an invasive plant or a weed problem there, uh, and the county weed inspectors on your case, uh, you may be wanting to clip a little bit there. You may be required to clip. You may get an order to clip. Um, if you've got uh, woody species that are encroaching, um, or you want to renovate uh, a savanna site or a silvopasture site, uh, clipping and or mowing. Um, could be a very viable tool. And then, and then we'd want to talk about when uh, that could be most effective. Um, if, if your pastures are pretty much a monoculture of just one thing, and I think that's where a lot of people, uh, that's their frame of reference. Um, it's a low, divert, low plant diversity pasture. Um, everything's wanting to mature at the same time. You don't feel your animals can keep up with it. Um, that's another time when uh, somebody may be interested or tempted to clip. And so um, we want to think about what we're dealing and what's the context of what we're dealing with there. How did we get there? Is it something we want to do regularly? You know, when we go out and clip, that's labor, that's fuel, that's wear and tear on your machinery. Uh, it's time when you probably got other things you need to be doing. It may or may not be the right answer. So context is absolutely critical. Absolutely. You know, I guess I always think back to, again, like everything, how do we get to where we are? And, you know, if we've created a situation unknowingly as we got to where we are currently, you know, to make sure we recognize that. And so that whatever remedy we feel that we need to take and do today uh, isn't going to, you know, reoccur in the future because we haven't actually addressed the real issue as to why we have uh, the reason we always think we have to clip to begin with. And um, that, you know, could, could be different from one season to the next as conditions change too. And as different species come through that you may or may not want. Um, you know, the re reference there that Kent had was invasive species. And, 
And I always look back and, and think the same thing when I hear that term is that the only invasive species I really consider that there are today is people because we're in charge of managing these lands. And if there's something there that we don't like, it's because we may have uh, done something that uh, maybe w wasn't quite what we should have been doing at the time. So um, thinking that we can go back and just fix it by clipping sometimes, uh, you know, it, sometimes that, that can be the case, but then other times, uh, depending on the timing of that clipping too, we may not help our situation as much as we're looking to help it. Now, sometimes clipping can be used also to, if, if a producer, if a grazer has enough access to land, um, clipping can be a very viable tool and, and clipping may be in the form of haying. Um, if, if you've got more acres than you can graze, if you wanna set up a stockpile situation, uh, haying a portion of your acreage and setting that feed aside for later, either for drought or for winter bale grazing or whatever. Um, there are producers who do that. Typically, we encourage a couple things there. Number one is don't cut the same pasture the same time every year. Rotate it around, move it back and forth. And if possible, try and feed uh, that harvested feed uh, back out on that uh, pasture in order to cycle that nutrients, cycle that carbon um, back on that site. So that's just another form of clipping that's out there that may be viable. But I, I know producers who routinely clip. Uh, they, I know some who clip in front of the animals, in front of the sheep, in front of the cattle. Um, forage utilization tends to be higher, but boy, that gets to be kind of expensive. And you really got to know your cost. You got to weigh the benefit of that. Clipping after animals go through a paddock, um, that's like that second bite that we're always concerned about in grazing. It's that second bite or that second cut uh, on that plant as it's attempting to recover it can be highly detrimental to those plant species. If, if you're delayed because you've got other things going on, if you're delayed because of the weather or whatever, and you can't get out there and those plants that were grazed just a few days before start to recover, especially, you know, like in June, early July, um, now you got a second uh, negative impact on that plant. That's going to be detrimental to the root system, that which is going to be detrimental to the microbes. You're going to be hurting uh, the photosynthetic capability of the plant when doing that. You're burning up more energy reserves. You're going to have to add extra recovery time to give those plants an opportunity to recover because you're, you're just hurting the whole system there, both the root system and the photosynthetic capability of that plant. So it's something to, if you understand, if a person understands what they're doing and what the negative ramifications could possibly be, um, I think it gives a person pause to think, is, is this something I really need? Clipping could also just be, you know, very small patches uh, problem areas, uh, willow patch. Um, you know, if it's dry and you're fighting with some willows uh, and you can't get down there all the time with the wet years we've had the last few years, maybe that's perfectly appropriate. Again, it's context. How are we doing this? Understanding what that mechanical uh, uh, management is going to do both short and long term and and uh, are, or are we just setting ourselves up for other problems in the future? So really weighing that carefully is very important. Absolutely. And then coming, coming back to the how and not the what sometimes too is important, you know, even deciding how high to clip. 
And I, I know in certain situations on our farm, if we have a thistle issue on one piece, uh, we've gone out and known that we would have to clip a second time. But the first time we went out there and clipped very, very high. Uh, and so in, in that situation, the thistles were actually uh, you know, just as tall as the grass. And so we, we pruned <laughs> the grass and we took that head off, especially if it was getting anywhere close to starting to form a bulb on the end. We wanted to keep it from spreading seed and to keep the neighbors a little bit happier when they see those out there. And then we knew later on that after we grazed, because these were coming on pretty strong even before we had a chance to get livestock there, is that we did have to go back and do a second flush or do some of those that escaped the first time. Uh, so that's appropriate in certain situations as well, but also understand that uh, you know, we still want to be able to always maintain soil cover in conditions, especially when they're drier to keep those microbes comfortable down there, keep the ground from drying out. And also we're looking at how fast that carbon that we leave behind that, that uh, mower of whatever, whatever we're using to clip that, the, the height. So there is a difference if you're gonna go out with a rotary mower to clip and you have a really small particle size, there's a difference between that or going out with maybe a sickle mower or a disc mower that just uh, leaves it long because the smaller we have that particle size, the faster that carbon can be consumed in the future after we've clipped. And that can uh, leave some, some sensitive situations for covering the ground and having enough cover before our next growing crop has the chance to uh, canopy the soil again. So is this a practice that you would use for all types of grazing livestock? Because of the just sheer number of acres we see out there with people running cattle on, I think that's typically where we see it used the most. Um, doesn't mean it can't be used with others. It could certainly be used in conjunction uh, with other livestock to facilitate some management changes. Let's think for a moment about oak savanna restoration, silvopasture type of thing, um, a combination of, for example, grazing buckthorn followed by some cutting of the larger buckthorn that the, the goats can access uh, is, is, is a management technique. And so you're using some of both. You're using mechanical cutting and the, the impact of the grazing animals. So uh, context is, is absolutely huge. Um, the big thing is, I guess, understanding, regardless of your livestock, understanding cutting at what time, cutting at what height, cutting what species, uh, and then how much rest and recovery is needed um, to get that uh, pasture to avoid having to clip again in the future, changing stock densities, all those different management things. Um, it, it, it's something we want to use in context with other management if we need to use it and to set ourselves up so we don't have to use it again, uh, if at all possible. I would say for sure on that, you know, it's always interesting because sometimes I think, um, because of the cost associated with the clipping, and I'm not ever saying it's it's not maybe the best decision at that time, but I always look at if I can use the cattle to stomp whatever I don't like out there for the species that I want to you know cut back or, or suppress. And most of the time I can, um, but not every situation is the same. And so I always well, first going to look at profitability on the farm, and I'm also looking at what. The animal can do that might be a benefit more than the steel can just with the actual operation or, or, or you know practice of doing that operation so in a lot of cases i think i like to look back and compare how i can mimic a natural system 
and how that may or may not be possible on the farm. And as a last resort, in most cases, is when I would look at that clipping process. But it's amazing what can happen if you just take a, you know, animals, bunch them up, and uh, stomp the, the living snot out of a process, a, a plant that you don't want to see out there, and uh, see what happens next. Because oftentimes you'll find some very different results between the two. Yeah, just to build on that, Katie. Um... You know, dragging that mineral feeder in the thistle patch or feeding in a, a, a good quality bale of hay, just a small amount of hay, or putting that watering tank in a different situation with some flexible hose or in a different site in that thistle patch, uh, you want to get some ultra high stock density trample, setting up a paddock within a paddock. All those sort of different tools are things we can do. We don't have to start up the, the expensive machinery to get that done or hire that out. Um, like Doug said, there's just a whole lot of stuff we can do by tweaking how we run those animals across the landscape and see very positive impacts. Not only setting back that plant that we want to set back, but the livestock even tends to stimulate what we want uh, to be there. And that's very important too. Uh, nature uh, abhors a vacuum and something's going to fill that vacuum. And so we want to fill it with things um, that are going to be positive to our livestock operation and not make the neighbors upset and or the county weed inspector or whatever. And so we can use those. Can you do all that at one shot? No. Is clipping a one and done thing? Rarely. Um, this, this stuff takes time, but if we're strategic and thoughtful and prioritize these areas we want to work on, uh, we can see progress in just a few short years and it's well worth the effort. I guess I'd just add one other thing is that most of the time with what we want out there in our pastures from a biological perspective, you know, we're looking at a fungal to bacteria ratio of roughly one to one. And that's where we're going to have, you know, optimum productivity of the species that we're looking to graze, at least for, uh, you know, examples like cattle, sheep, goats, uh, maybe not so much goats, but sheep that are more grass eaters. Now, if, if we're getting outside of those parameters of that one-to-one -one bacteria to fungal ratio, that means either we're going more bacterial or more fungal. And in more bacterial, for example, would be more of our broadleaf weeds um, and some of those situations. Some of the first things you'll see if you take a clean um, tilled field and just leave it, you're going to see a lot of those broadleaf weeds and then you'll have your grasses to follow. And so whatever management has done, been done before that's created that situation should be recognized and eliminated or at least adjusted for in the future. Now, if you're looking at the other side and maybe lands had too long of rest or, um, you know, you've got trees coming in, woody species, um, some pioneering situations like buckthorn or, or um, prickly ash or things like that. We're, we're starting to get a little bit more of the fungal aspect in that soil succession. And so pushing that back by suppressing those and giving the grasses the opportunity to outperform that brush is, is uh, kind of the idea that you want to be thinking about when you're looking at those different scenarios. And just to build on that a little more, um, just helping restore the nitrogen cycle. The carbon and nitrogen cycle are closely tied. And when we mow or shred something and deposit it back on the ground, particularly if we're trying to renovate a site, like in a silvopasture or savanna type setting, um, it's probably going to be better for us to remove that material. Now we can remove that material on the hoof. 
uh, as well as we can by biomass harvesting. But getting that material, helping to restore that nitrogen cycle, where oftentimes when we shred or clip, we're dumping more nitrogen back into the system than we probably need or want. A lot of our systems are uh, a, a bit heavy in nitrogen. And that's, you know, if there's two things that stimulate weed production, if you will, whatever definition we want to use for a weed, uh, but, but uh, invasive type plants is too much nitrogen in the system and, and soil disturbance. And, and we can disturb soil um, with some of this equipment just by turning and steering in the wrong conditions. But one of the biggest things is we're pumping a lot of nitrogen back into that system. A lot of the nutrients, for example, in woody plants is at or near the tips or the, the ends of the growing stems out there. We're putting that nitrogen back in the system. Um, we're not gonna probably see the response we want. We wanna balance that carbon nitrogen ratio. And that a lot of times means uh, we need to be putting more carbon in the system. We need to be removing nitrogen from the site as part of a renovation process. Once we do get it renovated though, um, managing to keep that carbon cycle going becomes very, very important. So it sounds like plenty of different ecological system benefits. Um, is there any benefits to clipping for your livestock performance? That's a good question. And so a lot of times it'll bring even a greater question as far as what are we trying to target for the crop that we're grazing as far as maturity? And I, I'd like to recognize that I, I feel it's a misconception that's been going on for a long time that we need to stay very vegetative and very immature for our forages, for our grazing. And there's going to be limitations and even setbacks if that's always been, if that's always going to be the focus. And naturally, we're going to have a difference in nutrient um, availability in these crops as they mature. But uh, consider looking at mid-stage maturity with a lot of your forages when you're looking at optimal performance. And so with that, that's going to oftentimes expand some people's mindsets of when they're going to be targeting doing some grazing on a particular piece. And it also offers some flexibility when it comes to broadening that window in which the operator or manager thinks they need to be grazing that particular piece. And with that, we always want to be looking at how we can promote diversity because that's gonna give us more opportunity to be selectively harvesting those animals, selectively harvesting to some degree, the crops that are gonna give them the most nutrition at that time, but yet still taking advantage of opportunities and benefits from the diversity of plants that may not be in that honey harvest window at that time of grazing. So we're looking at promoting diversity, certainly in our pasture systems to give us more opportunities to enhance cattle performance or livestock performance when we're grazing. And also, you know, we're looking at building that ecosystem. And when we can build that ecosystem, we're gonna build resilience in our system, which is also going to promote animal performance along with forage production. I think a lot of times, you know, uh, our, our frame of reference from the past, we, we often think of pastures or view, have viewed pastures like a hayfield. And unless we're taking most of the biomass off of there at any particular harvest event, grazing or haying, um, it, it was thought to be waste, that, that we're, we're leaving money on the table. And yet we know now um, through, through botany, through biology, through grazing science, that we have to leave 
a photosynthetic panel out there for that plant in order to recover. We also know that when we take more than 50% of the plant, we're having a negative impact on that plant root system. If it, it, when we do that, it takes much longer for that plant to recover. The plant is stressed, it takes more energy, more time, and we actually reduce forage production uh, over the long haul on that particular site. Most good grazers now are targeting um, leaving, leaving on many sites, 60 or more percent of the biomass that's out there when they graze. So they've got that photosynthetic panel, so they're not hurting that root system. When we're only taking that much, just let's say for easy numbers, a third, uh, a third of the standing biomass that's out there, like Doug said, if we've got diversity out there, oftentimes there's more than enough to meet those animals' nutritional needs. And it's and, and a lot of that's gonna be in that sweet spot. And, and a lot of our animal nutritional science has focused on what animals get the bulk of their nutritional needs. But work by Fred Provenza and others has demonstrated these animals can and will, if given a choice, eat from 30 to 75 different plants a day. Now, again, the bulk of their intake is gonna focus around maybe three or four plants at most, but this little nip of this here and a little nip of that there uh, is super important to the overall health and well-being to those animals. So diversity is critical, not only for animal performance, but even how, how robust that soil microbe population is to help us cycle carbon, to help us build soil aggregate structure, to help us build water holding capacity during a drought or be able to infiltrate water when we get too much moisture. And we protect that by plant, by having diversity out there, by keeping that ground covered, keeping it armored and running those livestock through, but not taking too much of that forage. And so, and, and, and even, on the, even on a lot of these plants, I think we've gotten a, a bit overexcited uh, in the past about, you know, oh my goodness, seed heads are gonna form, the animals aren't gonna eat it. Yes, if it's a monoculture and it all uh, uh, matures at the same time, that's important, but I've watched animals eat seed head too, uh, on, especially before anthesis. Anthesis being when the pollen forms on that seed head, that early seed head stage, that grass is at, basically peak nutrition, uh, balanced nutrition, balance of energy and protein uh, for that animal. Uh, add some diversity in there. Add to the fact that we start getting uh, new leaves growing at the bottom, even after that grass matures, that the animals can forage around down below and get that. Um, it's a different mindset than running the mowing machine, the haying equipment across there, thinking we have to get everything at peak time because we're only gonna be utilizing, we should, only be utilizing through grazing um, less than 50%, probably more realistically between leaving between 60 and 70% of the biomass out there if we're really after um, forage production and animal health for the long term. And then Kent, I think you really touched on something that was valuable when you're looking at the idea of clipping as a routine. And that, that could be risky and costly. And, and maybe... Um, if that is the case on a particular operation, just looking at the possibility of maybe changing that up a bit. And uh, certainly if, if one feels that clipping is necessary, that even whenever possible, uh, altering that, just like we're altering when, our, uh, when we're able to take the livestock out there and do the grazing, because then we will be promoting uh, diversity in a different way that we did with our old, with our old management style or routine. 
And the idea of a routine anyway, I mean, unless we can get that, uh, you know, unless we can get the weather to go according to the calendar every year, uh, you know, time and time again, there's going to be setbacks because conditions change. And, and the only thing that's constant is change. And to be adaptable within that in everything that we look at doing on the farm is just really important if we're looking to move forward with our operations and not getting ourselves in a rut. Yep, yep. Grazing, clipping, they're all tools and they need to be used in the right context. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Keep all the tools in the toolbox, use it where appropriate. If you've got questions, reach out to some, some of us. Uh, we can help you work through that. And sometimes it, it's definitely becomes a management matrix to think through these things, but maybe we can ask some questions to help you hone in on a better decision. So I hear you saying that, you know, it's not gonna be like every June 10th, it's time to clip, but where, at what points in the season would clipping then be an option? Again, context. Um, what are your goals for that site? What are you trying to accomplish? What issues and challenges are you trying to deal with? That could vary across your farm. Uh, you may have one field where it's highly appropriate at one time of the year and another uh, part of the farm where it would be very inappropriate. And so looking at the whole, looking at the context, deciding how it fits. But I think first and foremost, what can we do with changing our animal management um, that could accomplish this. It, the, there's many tools in the toolbox. Um, let's assess them all. Uh, let's look at them all and, and before we make that decision. Um, and I think we're gonna make uh, much better decisions. And always comparing against how nature works. Um, you know, maybe we don't have the same ability to have the impact on the area of land that we were considering clipping with livestock, but um, you know, maybe another time we can. And so what in some situations would be considered a disaster can really turn out to be a blessing. Um, so, you know, not every situation is necessarily going to go the way we would expect it to if we're uh, actively growing and observing as we're working with our management. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe agriculture done well heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.